player or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad that you could listen today. I'm attorney Kyle Gelter. I'm a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. I practice in a variety of legal areas, including civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer, and all the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own, or you're with colleagues in a smaller firm. Today on New Solo, our guest attorney, Andrea J. Habley, uh, will talk about her unique practice, uh, alternative offers arrangements, harnessing technology, dual admittance, differing fee structures, and much more. Joining me today is solo attorney Andrea J. Hobley from Hobley Law PLLC. Andrea Hobley is a Twin Cities estate planning attorney based in Woodbury, Minnesota. She's also an editor at the Minnesota State Bars Practice law.org website. It is a premier online resource for Minnesota attorneys and is produced by the Minnesota State Bar Association. In addition, she writes a blog entitled WorkingSmall.com. It is, in essence, a home office blog. Uh, welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Glad you could be on the show. Uh, let's start out. You have a unique background, and uh, I want to discuss your practice a bit. Andrea, you have a virtual law office. What is a virtual law office? I think a virtual law office can mean two different things. And I know you hear the term a lot, you know, they're becoming much more popular and I feel like you see them a lot in articles and statistics, but I think it really can mean two different things. Um, The first thing is sort of a technology-based practice, and that's one where, you know, you're working from wherever you might happen to be working. It might be a home office or a real office, but that you're meeting with your clients online through, you know, chat rooms or whatnot. And I think that most of the time when people say virtual office, that's sort of the image that is evoked, but I think it's not what most people do. Um, the second kind of a virtual office is what's also known as the office presence. And that's virtual in the sense that you're not actually there. That's why it's virtual, but sort of the original sense of the word virtual. <laughs> but um, And that's what I do. And I think a lot of people are turning to that. It's becoming much, much more popular. And what that means is that you may work from home or somewhere else, but you have a location where you get your mail and you can meet clients 
And you may go beyond that and have like a virtual assistant. So it's sort of a um, as if you worked there, but your desk isn't there. So that's how I would define there's sort of two different ways you could look at it. And, and how do you set up uh, a virtual law office? Well, I'd see what's out there in your community first because I went through a local company. I know there are some national or international companies that do it too. So if you decide this is something you're interested in, I would actually look around for options locally first, and then you can kind of pick and choose what level of a virtual office that you um, would want to have. Um, And, you know, a lot of times they'll advertise in local, um, you know, bar association newsletters or in other legal newsletters that you might have in your area. Um, And I actually found a lot on Craigslist. They kind of advertise everywhere they can possibly be. So um, the other option is a lot of traditional offices or office share arrangements might actually allow you to do that, but they've never really had anyone do it before. So if there's an area that you're particularly interested in being like a building you like and you know they have office suites or an office share, is just ask if you could get your mail there and have client meetings there because they might not have considered it before and it's a way for them to make money too. Now, how do you interact with clients and build rapport if you set up a virtual law office? Um, You know, for me, I actually see the virtual office as a step toward having a traditional office than saying that I just work out of my home um, because it allows me to have somewhere more formal for them to meet. so it's, I probably don't have to build rapport with them that differently than someone in a traditional office. But um, I think the biggest difference is that, you know, when they're contacting me, they really do talk to me and not necessarily a secretary, which does have different perceptions for people. Um, so for mo- mostly for me, I build rapport and, you know, by trying to sort of be more friendly and sort of approaching it. This is just my business model rather than... Um, um, trying to sort of apologize for not having a, quote, real office. And what are uh, some of the advantages and disadvantages of having a virtual law office? Well, some of the advantages are, um, just as I said, it's sort of a in-between having um, a full traditional office and fully working from home. Um, it allows me to have a proper address, which is, nice for mail, for privacy reasons. I don't have to advertise my home address all over the place. Um, And it's also great because I have conference space available. I know that that's really difficult for new attorneys who don't have an office or a virtual office that um, have a really difficult time figuring out where to meet clients. So it's nice to sort of having that available whenever I need it. I just have to call and schedule it. Um, Disadvantages are that you have little control over the space. So, I mean, hopefully you are somewhere that you like, but, you know, if you felt like for some reason the office setup wasn't working very well for your clients, you wouldn't really have anything you could do about it. Um, but So there, there are pros and cons for sure, but it's it's sort of a nice middle ground between being fully home office and having a traditional office. And how does the virtual office reduce your costs in general? Well, the biggest thing is that I don't have traditional rent so that my rent is much, much lower, um, basically. So that's the biggest cost. And the incidental costs are um, not having to commute 
every day. I mean, I do go there frequently to meet clients, but it's not, um, you know, some days you might drive last. And then um, also, you know, the incidental costs of internet and things like that, you don't have all of those additional costs that if you have, that you would have if you set up a full traditional office. And what are the typical range of costs for a virtual law office? I think the lowest that I've seen is probably, you know, starting at $50 for kind of a basic, um, you know, just mailing address and um, access to conference space. But there are a lot of add-ons, for example, um, having a virtual assistant or someone that answers your calls and forwards them to you or picks up your mail and sends it to you. So I think with a lot of add-ons, it could get up to be, you know, a few hundred dollars, but still significantly less than a traditional office. I'm sure it also depends on your space or your location, I should say, geographically. And in addition to the virtual law office, what technology do you recommend for uh, new practitioners who are solos? Um, Can I just say, first of all, something that I should say is just a general caveat for the virtual law office is that state different states have different ethical requirements. And even though this is something I do in Minnesota and it's permissible here and in a lot of other states, there are many, at least one state, I'm not sure, I want to say New Jersey or somewhere East Coast that does not, that came out with an ethics opinion last summer saying that you have to have a physical office. So that's just something important to note is to look at um, ethics rules in your state before before you make a decision about a virtual office. Obviously, an important point to make because uh, if you don't want to run afoul of the ethical issues uh, ever. Um, so, uh, in regards to technology, um, what do you recommend for for newer practitioners? Um, well, there's kind of two parts of technology. You have to think about hardware, you know, physical things you have to have, and software. Um, for hardware, I mean, I think everyone knows they need to have a computer. Um, I think a lot of people start off using whatever computer they had, you know, from law school or from, you know, their home computer. But I think it's really important to have a separate, dedicated computer for your office. And that's partially um, just because it's easier to separate work from your rest of your life if you have a separate computer, especially if you're working from home. It's sort of like having a separate office, like a separate space you can go to. Even if you have a separate room you can go to, I think if you have, you know, you're using your personal computer for work, it's really easy to be distracted. So I think having a separate computer for your business is really my first thing that I would recommend doing. Um, A lot of people recommend the laptop. I don't have a laptop for, for my business, but that's been fine with me. But a lot of people recommend buying a laptop um, for your business. And the other two things that I think are essential for hardware are, of course, a printer and a scanner. And I really want to underscore how important the scanner is because I didn't get one until I had been practicing for about a year. And it just has made such a big difference because I can keep electronic copies of everything and it really cuts down on the amount of paper that I have to keep in my office. Um, furthermore, it's also much better for backup you know, sort of in case of emergency or, um, you know, even in disaster planning, it's much, much, much easier to recover um, electronic files, assuming they're backed up properly, which they should be backed up properly. That's the essential second part of that. But um, much, much better than having paper files for a variety of reasons. So I would put computer and scanner at the top of your list if you're deciding what to buy right away. Um, for software, 
I would consider accounting software and word processing software as sort of the top two things that you have to buy and then um, back up um, however you're planning to back up your files. Um, and it's recommended, at least here, I would imagine in other states, I think it's just good general advice um, to have an in-office backup and an out-of-office backup. And the in-office backup would be like an external hard drive and the out-of-office backup would be something on the cloud, if you're familiar with that is. Um, so just somewhere else on the internet, you know, on a server of a company that provides it as a service. So, um, for example, I think Mosey and Carbonite are two that I hear a lot, um, and Dropbox is another one that people use. So there have been some um, safety concerns about some of them, but I think that you kind of have to take into account probably, again, state your own state's ethical rules um, to see if they have any advisory opinions on that, plus as well um, sort of the nature of what kind of client files you have, how sensitive they really are. Um, you know, if you have social security numbers for your clients, you may have very different requirements than than if you are just doing kind of general work for them. So, um, so I think that software, there are a lot of additional things you can get if you have sort of specific needs for your practice area. Like you may need to buy um, a forums library or um, document automation, but Again, that's going to be really jurisdiction and practice area specific. But you can really get by doing a lot of things with just accounting software, whether it's whether you're using QuickBooks or Excel even, or and word processing word processing software. Well, we need to take a short break. When we return, more with attorney Andrea Hobley. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to new solo, you might also like the unbillable hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're joined by solo attorney Andrea J. Habley from Habley Law PLLC. Andrea, you are a solo practitioner, but you are also, you have another position. Could you please describe the benefits of having another job and also describe how your current position plays a positive role in your solo practice? Well, I think that the ideal job is... um you know, one that doesn't ignore your practice. So for me, I actually wasn't looking for another job and um, had this job at the Minnesota State Bar Association had come up. It was an editing job. It was for, um, you know, a licensed attorney. And I've done editing work in the past, so that's kind of what drew me in. But I also get to do, you know, some social media things for them and work on, you know, their website. And a lot of it is thinking about what do attorneys really need and what can we do for them as from the Bar Association's perspective. So from that perspective, I really do feel like I kind of have both sides in a way that really positively influences both jobs, um, that I can bring that to the Bar Association and say, in my practice, this is what I see, or in practitioners that I know when I'm out, you know, meeting other people from my own practice, this is what I hear from people. But at the same time, 
um, I feel like from my practice, I've gotten to meet a lot of people and I know a lot more about what resources are out there. So it really has had a great cross benefit for me in one, in a way that I couldn't have predicted that I would be doing this. Um, you know, cause I wasn't looking for something else. It just kind of happened to come up and was pretty ideal. But, um, so from that respect, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of solos who've taken jobs because they felt like they needed um, cash flow. And I, I won't say that's, you know, not a motivation is to have, um, you know, more steady cash flow. And I feel like that's been a big benefit, too, because I don't have to take cases that I don't really want to take. I'm able to really stick to my practice areas that I really want to build on and not necessarily take whoever calls. But um, I, I have seen a lot of solos say, you know, I'm just going to do some contract work or, um, you know, some other part-time job and it just doesn't really mesh well with their practice and it turns into just a way to make money. And I think if it's just a way to make money, you're going to hate it and you're going to want to quit. <laughs> so if you can find something that really does interest you outside of your practice and in such a way that may may or may not supplement it, but at least something you really enjoy doing, I think that that's going to be um the best fit um, for most people. The other thing, of course, is taking into account your practice areas. So I do transactional law, so I never have to go to court. (laughs) So it makes it a lot easier for me. Um, If I did civil litigation, I don't think I could take a part-time job. I I definitely couldn't take a full-time job. So um, that's something to consider for certain practice areas. It might be much more difficult to maintain a different job. And to follow that up, for for someone who is looking for that steady cash flow you had just mentioned uh, mm-hmm. to perhaps supplement their starting uh, a practice, what types of jobs would you recommend that could bolster uh, a solo firm? I think that there are a lot of attorney jobs that are not practicing jobs. So, um, for example, I'm an attorney editor. I think there are a lot of organizations out there that do need um, attorney editors, um, you know, publishing companies or other private companies. Um, and then that's nice because you can, some of them, I think you can even do it on your own time, um, which would work if someone was, you know, having to go to court. Um, but um, contract work may or may not work just because it depends on if you have to rearrange your schedule to do it. And that that's, I think, sort of the quintessential um attorney but non-practicing job that a lot of people go to when they need to make money. But I think it gets very difficult to schedule around. Uh, you are duly admitted in both Minnesota and Wisconsin, and your office is located very close to the border of Wisconsin. How do you leverage uh, the dual admittance? Um, it's nice to have the dual admittance. I think actually more um, from a perspective of setting myself apart from other attorneys, um, not necessarily as a marketing tool. I guess I could do more marketing in Wisconsin, but that's never really been the goal. I actually get most of my work there from other attorneys in Minnesota who are not licensed in Wisconsin. And either from a full estate planning matter to they're doing some estate planning, but they you know, a client has a cabin or something in Wisconsin and they need um, sort of someone to come in and do some work with them on that. Um, The drawback, of course, is that the law is different. Fortunately, I think practicing in a very fairly focused area of practice, I mean, if I was a general practitioner, I I do not think I would be able to do it. Um, People do, but I don't necessarily feel like that's um, a smart way to approach it. But... um, 
generally the law is fairly similar. Similar, There are some significant differences, so it's a little bit difficult to keep up with both of them, but um, it's, it's definitely manageable if you're limiting your, narrowing your focus anyway. Uh, let, let's shift gears uh, a bit to end the program. Uh, Henry Ford said, quote, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, end quote. What does that mean to you? I think this is a great question, actually, and I think it's really funny you decided to ask me this because this is actually the second time that I've heard this quote in the last few weeks. Um, well, I think what it really means is that what people want isn't always what they need. And I think in in sort of the obvious sense of um, when people come to see a lawyer, they don't they think that they know what they need, but it's not really what they need. Um, the thing that I see all the time is the young parent who comes in and they say, oh, I just need a simple will. That's all that I need. But that's not really what they need. They need a will with a testamentary trust, and they probably need a power of attorney and a health care directive also. And it's my job to tell them that that's what they need. <laughs> but in a in sort of a in a in a greater sense, I think you can think of it from legal services too. Um, so don't necessarily tailor your practice to what you think that your clients want, but what your clients really need. Um, so. And to me, that means not necessarily looking what other law firms do, because you, your client will expect from you maybe what they see from other law firms. But just because another law firm does it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best way. So if you can sort of look at new technology or a new way to approach practice, better ways to serve your clients, I think that um, you're going to be much better off in the long run than if you just sort of do what everyone else does. What is the best piece of advice that you have received? Well, it's not necessarily one piece of advice, but sort of the general sense I got from a lot of people that I met with when I was in the in the process of starting my law firm is that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, which is also to say that you should make your practice your practice, not just a practice. Um, so, um, for example, I had a few people tell me when I was starting you know, because I, I was very concerned about not having, um, you know, a mentor, just someone to go down the hall and ask a question to, not having a senior partner. And a lot of people were telling me that, you know, they're at a firm and they don't have that. So I think it sort of became not about what I felt like I should have, but what I could make out of my own situation and sort of make it work for me the best that I possibly could. Well, that about does it for this edition of New Solo. Remember that you can find all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. And a very special thanks to my guest, Andrea uh, Hobley, for joining me today. Andrea, if someone wants more information on today's topic, how can they reach you? Um, If you visit my website, I have my email address and also a contact form. And that's at HobleyLaw.com. It's H-A-B-L-E-L-A-W.com. And, of course, you can contact me directly at kyle at legaltalknetwork.com. We're out of time. I would like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis. You can find out more about Firm Manager at myfirmmanager.com backslash L-T-N. Join us next time for another episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. 
its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to New Solo today. Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with attorney Kyle Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.